Hello, everyone, and welcome to another I Heard Your Review Movies podcast. Today, we are in the thick of the summer movie season, where we review Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Asteroid City, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, and the most anticipated movie of the year, definitely on the tops of my list, Oppenheimer. We will also talk about the ongoing strike between SAG, the Writers Guild, and Hollywood, and what ramifications we may see down the line. We're already seeing it in the TV world, where TV seasons are being cut dramatically, uh, and basically streaming content that was exclusive to streaming services is going to premiere on network television this fall. So we'll we'll dive into that a little bit, Um, but sit back and enjoy the podcast. We'd like to thank everyone for their support and for listening to this podcast. Please visit our Facebook page at I Heard Your Review Movies, on Twitter at Heard Movies, Instagram at I Heard Your Review Movies, and now just launched on TikTok, search I Heard Your Review Movies. We will have one minute and three minute movie reviewed segments on TikTok. Donations are always welcome to keep the podcast running strong via Cash App at dollar sign GMU Dan 04 at PayPal under GMU Mandan at AOL.com. All monies collected will go towards improving the recording studio and equipment as well as give us a longer reach for interviews with famous stars. Thanks for listening. The next film on the podcast is the highly anticipated final chapter of Indiana Jones, called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, starring Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller's-Bridge, Mads Mikkelsen, hope I'm pronouncing that right, directed by James Mangold. We witness the return of the legendary hero Indiana Jones in the fifth and final installment of this beloved swashbuckling series of films. Finding himself in a new era, approaching retirement, Indy wrestles with fitting into a world that seems to have outgrown him, but as the tentacles of an all-too-familiar evil return in the form of an old rival, 
Indy must don his hat and pick up his whip once more to make sure an ancient and powerful artifact doesn't fall into the wrong hands. That artifact is, in fact, the Archimedes dial, uh, also known as the Antikythera device. Um, it supposedly is a time-traveling device that when the pieces are all put together, you can travel back in time. There were two pieces that were hidden in different parts of the world. Dr. Volen wants the dial to change the mistakes that were made in Nazi Germany's past by Hitler himself, by killing Hitler, taking position of the Fuhrer, and changing the trajectory of the Nazi Germany result in World War II, and create a new future that has the Nazis successful. Indiana Jones' friend Basil Shaw becomes obsessed with Archimedes' dial, affecting his relationships with his family and friends. Indy takes the half of the dial that he has in his possession and hides it. Years later, Helena Shaw, Indy's goddaughter, appears looking for her father's artifact. This film, I felt, was written very sloppily. What made Indiana Jones films so thrilling and engaging in the original trilogy was the investigation of these relics. The Ark of the Covenant, Sankara Stones, and the Holy Grail. These are what made the first three films, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade so exciting. You investigated along with Indy, until he reaches the relics and finds them. The last two films, it's been a crystal alien skull, an Archimedes dial. While the artifact this time around is an improvement on some outlandish artifact of an alien crystal skull, the story still lacks some substance and... Just the thrill of the chase, I think, in the first three films, really, um, there was some of that in this one. You know, the beginning of the movie was very good. First 15 minutes was a pretty thrilling scene. Chase sequence with a younger CGI'd Indiana Jones. Um, You know, but, you know, there are some slow parts in the film, uh, to me, that kind of drag it a little bit. It's over, you know, it's over two hours long. And uh, it's officially two hours and 34 minutes. So they could have cut probably a good 30, 40 minutes off of this film. And it still would have been fairly decent. Um, But Phoebe Waller-Bridge is not a likable character in this film. Uh, A thief and a fiend by trade. They try to create short round 2.0 as well with this young boy named Teddy played by Ethan Isidore. And they fail miserably in doing so there's just so many cliches and so many things where they're trying to make him like short round uh from indiana jones and temple of doom that i think you know people that are big fans of the entire series are just gonna you know hit their hand on their face or just go oh my gosh what are they doing um indiana jones is older He moves slower, but he can still carry a film. Harrison Ford did a really good job at trying to harness this film and kind of carry it to the finish line. But, you know, with somewhat of a weak story and um, an unlikable character in Phoebe Waller-Bridge's, you know, the goddaughter who's just a thief and a fiend, basically, uh, that really doesn't follow what Indiana Jones really, who he associates with. Um, so, you know, to me it was, and and the ending of the film was very nostalgic. You've got some returning characters that, uh, that you're, it's nice that you see them. And and I think they wrap it up very well. Um, but the movie is kind of a mess and, you know, it, it left me a little disappointed coming out of the theater after being, you know, so hyped up for, for over a year now. Um, you know, I, I thought this was going to be better. Um, but it is better than the kingdom of the crystal skull. That movie will forever be the worst Indiana Jones film of all time. Uh, and it wasn't Shia LaBeouf's fault, which that is an interesting, 
uh, tidbit of itself. I will not give a spoiler for that, but they do explain where Mutt goes in this film. And I thought it was kind of a cop out, you know, kind of an easy way of writing, writing a character out of a film, but you know, to each their own. I give Indiana Jones and the King and not the King of the Crystal Skull and, <laughs> and the Dial of Destiny. Let me get it right. Uh, I give it two and a half out of four stars. It is out in theaters now. It will be on streaming over the next month or so. You know, definitely check it out. It's worth seeing. Um, but I, you know, I would not, you know, go get the, you know, ultra Blu-ray copy of it or anything, you know, but it, it is an enjoyable film. It's a summer blockbuster in every sense. Um, but you know, it does fall short to the other films. You're not here. We're not there. The car exploded. Come get the girls. I have to stay here with Woodrow. I'm not the chauffeur. I'm the grandfather. Where are you? Asteroid City, Farm Route 6, Mile 75. Junior stargazers and space cadets. Each year we celebrate Asteroid Day, commemorating September 23rd, 3007 BC, when the arid plains meteorite made Earth impact. Holy Toledo, that's Mitch Campbell. You're very good in the one about the tramp in the brothel who gets amnesia. And Thank you. Pediatrician, you were very awesome. Actually, maybe my favorite character ever. I don't know why nobody else liked it. Oh. What do those pulses indicate? What? Oh, the beeps and blips? We don't know. Some of our information about outer space may no longer be completely accurate. Anyway, there's still only nine planets in the solar system as far as we know, Billy. Except now there's an alien. What's happening now? I don't know. I don't like the way that guy looked at us. The alien. How did he, how did he look? Like we're doomed. Maybe we are. I've just informed the president. How long can they keep us in Asteroid City legally? The world will never be the same. That's an alien doing jumpy jacks. That's an alien in a top hat. What's out there? The meaning of life. Maybe there is one. Are you married? I'm a widower. But don't tell my kids. You're saying her mother died three weeks ago. Let's say she's in heaven, which doesn't exist for me, of course, but you're Episcopalian. In my loneliness, I've learned to give complete and unquestioning faith to the people I love. I don't know if that includes you, but it included my daughter and your four children. Sometimes I think I feel more at home outside the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, wow. Me too. They're strange, aren't they? They're children. Compared to normal people. Yes, that's correct. It's true. Fifteen, fifteen, going so fast. Fifteen, fifteen, going so fast. I don't. I don't know the thing. You want to say it? Huh? Did I say yes? You didn't say anything. Uh, I meant yes, but my mouth, my mouth didn't speak. <laughs> The next film on the podcast is Wes Anderson's highly anticipated new movie, Asteroid City, starring a lot of actors. <laughs> Let me see. Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Hope Davis, Leave Shriver. And many, many others. And Jeff Goldblum playing the alien, apparently. Um, it is directed by Wes Anderson. Written by Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola. They, they seem to write on a regular basis. This is Tom Hanks' acting debut with Wes Anderson's group. But as you can see, Wes Anderson has a huge loyal following in Hollywood with actors that he works with. And they continue to work with him. Jason Schwartzman has been in every single Wes Anderson film to date, I believe. Um, but Asteroid City is about is a fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to a small rural asteroid city to compete in a junior stargazing event only to have his worldview disrupted forever. That's a very simplistic way of evaluating this film. Um, Wes Anderson, I love his films. Uh, I think the last two films, The French Dispatch 
and this one were kind of a miss for me. Uh, you know, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest, I love those. The Darjeeling Limited's a great one. Life Aquatic, Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, just great movies. Uh, and Rushmore, or, uh, you know, Royal Tenenbaums and Grand Budapest Hotel are probably my two favorites of his. Um, just, I could watch those every day, and, and it's just incredible. Uh, but, uh, but it is, it's an interesting film. It is a, it is a film dealing with grief, uh, a father who lost his wife to cancer, taking his kids out to asteroid city for this event, but also to, to tell them that their mother had died. And it does deal with grief a little bit in the film. Um, it is an interesting pace. Uh, I think at times it gets a little slow at times it kind of grinds to a halt and the, but the dialogue is very strong as it usually is in a Wes Anderson movie. I think Scarlett Johansson does a great job in this film. I think Jason Schwartzman does a great job in this film. Brian Cranston as a narrator is spot on fantastic. And Tom Hanks was good in his debut, uh, in a Wes Anderson film. And I wouldn't be surprised to see all of them or any of them in future Wes Anderson films. I'll continue to go see Wes Anderson films, but I just believe the last two movies kind of missed the mark a little bit. Um, the preview is very misleading, I think, uh, of what you're getting into here. Now, I will say this. It is a PG-13 rated movie. There is some nudity in it um, if you're taking kids to it. Be prepared to explain why Scarlett Johansson is naked, <laughs> so, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing, I guess, you know, but <laughs> it was for the artistic reasons. And of course, what's funny is Wes Anderson was more embarrassed for her to do it than she was. So <laughs> that tells you what kind of a gentleman Wes Anderson is, I guess. But I give Asteroid City two and a half out of four stars. It will be it is now in theaters and it is on demand to purchase. It will be eventually on demand to rent. Um, and, you know, I would definitely see it. It's you know, but again, I think, you know, it falls short a little bit in, in my mind. are the sum of our choices. And we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is gonna cost you dearly. The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You have no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. Listen to me. Wolves coming after you. His fate is written. Shall we write yours too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written.
Our next film is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Thankfully, they made a Part 1 because this would have been a six-hour movie had they made it just Dead Reckoning. But uh, this film is two hours and 43 minutes. I mean, Hollywood is pumping up the run times on these movies lately. Um, but this stars, of course, Tom Cruise uh, as, you know, back as Ethan Hunt for a seventh time. We have Haley Atwell as Grace, making her debut in Mission Impossible franchise. And Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby. Uh, and you've got some returning cast members, uh, as well as Carrie Elwes, Elwes I think. Uh, it was nice to see him in a role. It is directed by Christopher McQuarrie. He has done the last, I believe, three Mission Impossible films. And, um, you know, this is, it's a very simplistic, uh, plot line. It's Ethan Hunt and his IMF team must track down a dangerous weapon before it falls into the wrong hands. And this movie deals with artificial intelligence. So we have an artificial intelligence uh, program that gets smarter and smarter as it goes and starts controlling nuclear weapons and all sorts of arsenals and hacking into defense uh, programs from various countries. And it just gets getting, it gets stronger and stronger as the movie goes along. And Ethan Hunt is trying to find the key that will disable this AI and be able to take it offline. So, but Tom Cruise is a master at action films, even at 60 plus years old, 61, I think is what he is now. Um, he can still do it. And I mean, the stunts are just unbelievable. Uh, you know, him going off a cliff on a, on a motorbike and paragliding, is just you know on uh, and parachutes and all sorts of stuff is just incredible um but it is a great action film simon pegg's in it too you know the original cast is pretty much intact from the previous mission impossible movies you know ethan hunt an old en enemy comes back uh it is just a great summer blockbuster it is what is what summer blockbusters used to be and Tom Cruise is bringing it back. He wants people to go out to the theater. He wants people to enjoy a couple hours of mindless entertainment. You know, but these movies are smart. They're well written. They're well executed. It is well worth your money to go see it. When I went and saw it, I saw it uh, last week on the first weekend. It was out on a Saturday and the theater was packed. And I, I will be surprised. I was surprised. You know, people were fairly respectful in the film. Uh, letting letting us watch it uh, without any interruption, but uh, great movie! I can't wait for part two. Uh, you know, it's going to be a great uh, story that will conclude. But Tom Cruise has said he wants to do these movies until he's eighty years old, like Harrison Ford. So we'll see how far uh, Paramount and all of them go uh, to, and, and how long you know Tom Cruise can do this for, but. He is in great physical shape, so I think he might be doing it for some time to come. But I give Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 three and a half out of four stars. It is out in theaters now. Go see it on the largest screen possible. This is a national emergency. Didn't need a charge. against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. I have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. Build a town, build it fast. 
We don't let scientists bring their families. We'll never get the best. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world? You're the great improviser, but this... You can't do it in your head. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice. This is a matter of life and death. I can perform this miracle. World War II would be over. Our boys would come home. It's happening, isn't it? The world will remember this day. I work here. We'll ensure a peace mankind has never seen. Somebody builds a bigger bomb. You are the man who gave them the power to destroy themselves. And the world is not prepared. final movie on the podcast this week is the highly anticipated and my number one movie of the year so far i don't know if anything's going to beat it uh christopher nolan's masterpiece oppenheimer starring killian murphy emily blunt matt damon robert downey jr florence Pugh. Kenneth Brownow. I mean, it is a who's who of casts. And also, Rami Malik is, is included in there. Uh, Tony Goldwyn. A lot of people involved in this movie. Uh, Gary Oldman as well. Uh, it is a three hour movie uh, on the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. And let me tell you, uh, you need to see this film to appreciate the grandness of it. You need to see it on the largest screen possible. It was shot in IMAX, and I know there's only about 13 theaters in the entire country that is true 70mm IMAX. doesn't matter if it's just a standard IMAX theater. Uh, Go see it in an IMAX theater. I went to the Regal Fox in Brambleton in Ashburn, Virginia. I, that is a, what, what they call a cinema IMAX. So it's a couple stories shorter. It's about a three-story screen versus a five-story screen. Um, but I know the Stephen F. Udvar-Hazy Center in Chantilly is showing Oppenheimer. Uh, go see it. Has the biggest sound, biggest picture you possibly can to appreciate this masterpiece of a film. Now, granted, it is uh, to me, I feel like it is a masterpiece of a film, but there are some things in the film that I, you know, I, I take as artistic creativity of Christopher Nolan that I might not have done or might not have agreed with. Um, but really, this movie is two movies in one. You have part one, which is about J. Robert Oppenheimer getting a group of scientists together called the Manhattan Project and them creating the atomic bomb in a race against the Nazis and the Russians. Um, You know, it is uh, thrilling from the first frame. You know, you start with Oppenheimer at school, very homesick, and just frankly bored in the class that he's in, uh, and just isn't intellectually stimulated. And he eventually goes home and transfers to another college 
Um, but he is such an intellectual mind and such a smart person. I mean, he was friends with Einstein for most of his life. <laughs> That's how incredible this guy is. I think he's a very misunderstood person, and I am very interested to read uh, what Oppenheimer is based off of, which is uh, the biography, autobiography of uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, you know, and, and I definitely want to read that book uh, that it's that this is based on. You know, it's uh, American Prometheus is what the title of the biography is called. Um, but it is just well executed. No CGI effects. You know, every explosion, every fireball, everything is real. Um, the fact that they shot the movie in 57 days is incredible to me with how much content there is. Um but first part is all about, like I said, the creation of the atomic bomb. Part two of the movie is the political side and the political fallout that Oppenheimer receives for doing this for the United States. The United States was not very kind to J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, once Oppenheimer created, helped create the atomic bomb with these scientists, the United States said, thank you for your service, Robert. Uh, we're going to take this and we're going to blow some stuff up with it. And he thought, okay, well, why don't you just do the test, publicize the test, and, you know, then that'll put the fear into these countries to surrender. Like Japan, who was not surrendering at the time, and the United States said, no, nah, we want to blow it up. We want, we want to show, we want to flex our political muscle that we have the atomic bomb, we're not afraid to use it, and basically, they'd be the big bully and dominate and take what they want. And Oppenheimer was very troubled by that response from the United States. Um, but then when the United States uh, did Hiroshima, then Nagasaki, which if I'm wrong in the order, forgive me, but when they bombed a second Japanese city, that's when Oppenheimer really took notice and really was horrified by the idea that his invention is being used in this way. So he wanted to create a nuclear arms control that really prevented an arms race with any country, including the Russians or whoever. And Truman just, you know, laughed it off and thought Oppenheimer was a crybaby, you know. And, and But it is one of the most emotional movies. I mean, by the end of it, you're utterly devastated with Oppenheimer. Because at the end of the movie, Oppenheimer knows he's done everything possible to try to control the atomic bomb that he created. But he lost the control and hit, that was horrifying to him to lose control and it is just an incredible film Killian Murphy should get his Oscar speech ready I don't see anybody beating his performance it is so good Emily Blunt was good as his wife Kitty but you know, I, I thought her character was a little underdeveloped. I thought I would have liked to have seen a little bit more there, I think. Matt Damon was fantastic in the film, um, which is fu it's a funny thing because, uh, you know, he's uh, General Leslie Groves in the film. And Matt Damon was on break from acting as a promise to his wife with one condition. It would go on hold if Christopher Nolan called. And as luck would have it, Nolan offered him the role and the break went on hold. <laughs> so, and one of the greatest you know lines in the film is what j robert oppenheimer said and it's based off of a book now i, be, I am become death the destroyer of worlds and it is not a movie for children i've had several people ask me oh can i take my 13 year old can i take my 11 year old to see it uh there are some scenes of graphic sexuality in it um, Christopher Nolan took that directive stance 
uh, in some of the scenes, especially when Oppenheimer's being interviewed by uh, representatives from Congress and, and uh, you know, shows him basically having sex with his mistress in front of the committee because he had to disclose that he was having an extramarital affair uh, with Florence Pugh's character, which I'm not seeing on the list here. Just give me one second. She's not listed. Oh, yeah. Jean Tatlock, who is another communist um, that Robert Oppenheimer knew. Now, here's the thing. Oppenheimer sympathized a lot with the Communist Party. He never joined it. Now, that was one common mis misnomer is Oppenheimer was a communist. He never joined the party. He was a forward thinker, and he uh, really spoke his mind and didn't think of the consequences. So that's different than being a communist. You know, he, he was definitely a more liberal uh, individual, um, but uh, he was not a communist at the end of the day. But one of the interesting things in the movie is what brought the Germans behind in the race for the atomic bomb was Hitler was very paranoid of scientists being Jewish. And Germany, as well as every other, many other countries, had Jewish scientists. He would not listen to what they had to say. He would say, don't listen to the Jewish people. They don't know what they're talking about. And he was so blinded by his hate for a race of people that it put the Nazis six months behind schedule on developing any atomic weapons, um, which they never did. They never got to that point. Um, luckily, Oppenheimer had a grand vision to get this accomplished. But again, he had to deal with the aftermath and just the incredible guilt that, was fo that followed with it. So it is an incredible film. I'm still thinking about this movie, and I saw it on Thursday. Uh, today is Saturday when I'm recording this episode, and it is just one of the most incredible movies I've ever seen. I mean, I was literally in tears by the end of the movie. It was an incredibly, just a huge gut punch at the end of the movie. Um, very emotional. Killian Murphy gives probably, that's the best performance I've seen in years. Um, he was so good. And Robert Downey Jr., uh, let me tell you, uh, he was Louis Strauss, uh, who, you know, Ended up trying to bury Robert Oppenheimer at the end of the day because he embarrassed him in front of a congressional hearing. Um, very vindictive, very petty. Uh, but Robert Downey Jr. is terrific in this film, and he deserves an Oscar for it as well. Uh, I see this film being nominated for many, many awards, and I just I don't see... Uh, anything beating it at this point, it's going to be very, very difficult for anything to top how good this film is. Now, again, you know, I don't recommend it for children. It is a rated R movie for a reason. There are some horrific scenes of nuclear violence showing, you know, people with skin falling off and all sorts of just graphic things. Um, and also the graphic nudity and sex scenes, you know, between uh, Robert Oppenheimer and Gene Tatlock, uh, who, which, you know, Oppenheimer was no perfect man. He had several extramarital affairs and his wife knew about it. Um, but that is an interesting relationship as well uh, that they that they uh, look at in the film. But I could talk forever about this movie. There's a lot to dissect. I'm actually going to go see it again. I rate Oppenheimer four stars. Go see it in the biggest screen possible, the best sound possible. The sound in this movie is incredible. The picture, the IMAX screen with the landscapes are just breathtaking. It is just a fantastic movie. And this is the reason we go to movies is for films 
like this. Christopher Nolan is a true artist. I believe this might be his best film to date. And we're just getting started with him. He's got plenty of ideas in the bank. So looking forward to seeing what else he has in store. So go see this movie. It is the film of the year so far in my book. So as I'm sure most of you have heard by now, the Screen Actors Guild SAG is with the Writers Guild of America and striking against major Hollywood studios for their workers. And frankly, it's for better pay. Uh, I think 86% of all SAG members don't make the required $26,000 a year to qualify for health coverage under the group. And, you know, we've got CEOs and picture, you know, major motion picture executives making hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. So the top 2% and three or two or 3% is getting paid way more than the bottom 97%. It's something that has to change. And I, unfortunately, this is what's, this is a necessary uh, thing that has to be done in this situation. I mean, there was an incredible example that I heard uh, from an- another movie reviewer that I follow on YouTube. His name is Chris Stuckman. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, uh, definitely check him out. He is an incredible uh, reviewer, and he's an av- he is making his first film. Please go contribute to his uh, first film's uh, production you know and and he has information on his site about that but if you haven't seen chris duckman's reviews they're fan they're very well executed much more polished than mine (laughs) but he made a great comparison um and and it's something that i think is a great example of what is going on and why this is so important so matt damon and um Ben Affleck, when they initially were younger, they were uh, interested in film a lot. Of course, that's what their, both of their dreams were to be filmmakers and to be actors. And there was a casting call uh, for Field of Dreams for extras. And the, the scene is when James Earl Jones and Kevin Costner are sitting in the stands watching a baseball game. I don't know if it was minor league or what. I, I can't tell you at this point. Um, but they needed a hun- like 100 extras, okay? Well, of course, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were around, and they said, sure, we'll do it. And they did it. They got paid, you know, at the time, I think it was like 100 bucks a day or whatever. And uh, that was the start of their love affair with movies. Well, nowadays, if Hollywood needs extras or additional people to fill a scene, what they are attempting to do right now is say you're an extra in the film, they pick you and they say, here's a piece of paper, please review it and sign it. And most people don't read it. They're so excited to be in a film. They'll do anything to be in a film. They'll sign it and be done with it. Well, if you read the fine print in that agreement, is basically saying the studio only has to pay you once. And we can use your likeness for life through AI, through other means, through other effects. So basically, your likeness, your licensing of your image is the property of the studio. What the ramifications are of that is say one of these extras becomes a Hollywood writer, director, uh, actor, they can't work with their image because. The studio owns it, which is unbelievable to me that a studio could take your property, your likeness, and create revenue off of it without having to pay you. To me, that's absolutely ludicrous. That's just one of the one of the small, finite details of what's going on in this strike. But AI is the future of film and television and music and we need to get a handle on it before it becomes out of control. 
because they, as you can see, Hollywood wants to use it for their benefit and no one else's. Um, so I hope that there is progress made here and that they at least talk to each other. Bob Iger really disappointed me because I, I, for the most part, I think Bob Iger's done a great job at Disney at, since taking over for Bob Chapek. But he, his statement, his quotes, just show how out of touch he is with the common person. Um, he's been rich too long. <laughs> he um, doesn't think the strike is warranted. He thinks it's ridiculous. He thinks it's a waste of time. He doesn't know the true reasons behind it. And, you know, unless you're Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks... Uh, you know, top A-list stars, you know, you're not making money in Hollywood. Uh, and that's the point here, is you've got all these great supporting actors, you've got all these extras that have to spend as much time on set sometimes as these lead actors do, and they get paid peanuts compared to what the actors get paid in the millions of dollars. Um, you know, but there's a reason for this strike. There's a reason that they're doing it, and I think it's going to be a very long strike unless Hollywood comes to their senses here. And what that will do, uh, unfortunately, the ramifications are very dire to movie theater chains. Uh, the only chain that I see right now that's that could survive is the Alamo Draft House. Or any theater that shows retro movies or older movies, that saves them. Uh, the drive-in, I think, you know, drive-in theaters, that they could be a casualty of this strike if they don't get more movies uh, to make revenue with. You know, the family driving out in Crystal, or not Crystal City, out in Stevens City, Virginia, is one of those small mom and pop organizations that rely on studios to produce films. And when we don't have content, as you could, as you saw during the pandemic, uh, they were struggling and movie theaters were struggling. And unfortunately I think, you know, places like Regal cinema, Cinemark, you know, those theater chains could go under. And it could be a very different landscape when the strike ends, if this goes on for a long time. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope Hollywood and, that, and the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild come to the table and talk it out, you know, agree as much as possible. You're not going to get the executives to agree to all the demands, but get the major, you know, the major sticking points like AI and residuals and things like that because streaming residuals is another big topic that i could go on about uh that is a big problem right now but um you know we just need to uh be patient you know they have the re i support sag and i support the producers guild and the writers guild of america for their strike uh, i think it is well warranted and i think the studios need to listen and I think that we need to, you know, reach some common ground here. And but really, the major issues, the major sticking points, need to be resolved. And you know, kind of what Congress used to be, not anymore. You know, Congress is controlled way too much by the special interests, and I could go on on that. But Hollywood needs to negotiate, like what we used to negotiate in Congress is: you'd have a Republican, you'd have a Democrat, you'd have an issue, and they would compromise. And they would work out an issue, work out a bill to where both sides are somewhat satisfied and they approve the bill. Uh, Hollywood needs to do the same thing with these Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild. They need to uh, concess a little bit to some of the demands, but you know, they they need to come to the table with uh, a fair a, a fair compromise. And we'll see what happens here. But I believe this is going to happen for a long time. I mean, you see TV uh, networks are already scrapping uh, shows for the fall. Uh, and new I don't think there's going to be any new shows this fall. Uh, you're not going to see returning shows either. You're going to see a lot of streaming content that was on like Paramount Plus, on Peacock, on Hulu. 
you're going to see a lot of these shows pop up on network television. Um, I would love it if they did the bear or, you know, other shows that people might not be able to see. Uh, Yellowstone, I think is going to be edited to hell and it's going to be not so good on network television, but it gives people an opportunity to see how good Yellowstone is. Um, and that's on CBS this fall. They might be putting Star Trek Strange New Worlds on there. I'm not sure if they will, but I still have to finish season one of that. Um, but it's going to be less content. Um, it's not going to be as many movies that are coming out. You know, Netflix has got a lot in their arsenal. I think they'll be okay. Um, but after a year, maybe not, you know, and the only film that really is on the slate next summer right now is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2 because that movie is done. But we'll see what happens here. It's going to be a long, hard fight. And uh, I strongly encourage everybody to support the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America in their fight for more resources and more pay. We want to thank everyone for listening to the I Heard You Review Movies podcast this week. On the next podcast, we will be reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That premieres on Disney Plus this week. Super Mario Brothers movie, also premiering on Peacock this week. We will also be reviewing Haunted Mansion, starring Owen Wilson and Rosario Dawson and Danny DeVito and many others. And we will also be reviewing Barbie, starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. You can access our social media pages for the I Heard You Review Movies podcast. If you want to donate to the podcast, please do uh, at gmumandan at aol.com on PayPal or any of our other platforms. And we will see you at the movie.